is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 398, recorded on the evening of Tuesday, October the 16th, 2018. Oh, it's almost Halloween. Oh, yeah, we're getting close to Halloween. That's right. What are you dressing up as this year? Uh, someone in my in their mid-40s walking around the neighborhood <laughs> with a child dressed as an astronaut. He's going as an astronaut? That's the plan. Oh, that's pretty good. Are you purchasing an astronaut costume for him? Well, I bought him, uh, it's like a pajamas that look like an astronaut flight suit. Oh, that's pretty good. You know, yeah. you should have said something to me because just yesterday I was in the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. And I, they had plenty, millions of all different sizes of astronaut costumes. Nice. I would have brought you one. <sighs> so, well, what am I, how am I supposed to know that? Well, I don't know. Just, you know, and to say something to you. Hey, if they happen to have, you know, two-year-old sized astronaut costumes. Yeah. Get me one. Fair, fair it's, enough. It's one of those things where it's mostly, you know, happenstance discussion in hindsight. Yeah, of course. Well, soon, soon Jasper will be of a trick-or-treating age where he's going to start to take it really seriously. So, yeah, he, he needs to gather the candy every year. He had his first piece of uh, uh, Reese's peanut butter cup the other day. He loved it. Oh, I don't blame him. Those things are delicious. They are delicious. Anyways, yeah, we're a couple of weeks out from Halloween. Looking forward to that. But we are now two weeks in to The Walking Dead Season 9, and we have the second episode to talk about today here on the podcast. But first, as we tend to do... I want to take a quick look back at last week in terms of the ratings for the season premiere. And, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I think I should probably give a quick review or a reminder of what the ratings were like in season eight uh, to see where we fall. So season eight B, second half. Do you remember, Jason? It mostly came down within the 6.5 to 7.5 million viewer range. I don't remember, but that sounds uh, plausible, so yeah. I agree with you. That's where it was. Now, it started fairly strong. The season eight premiere, like the first episode, was 11.44 million. So even though at the time that was uh, the lowest season premiere, I think, since season uh, two, um, it was still pretty good, almost 12 million people. Uh, but then, you know, the rate, the numbers went down over the course of the season and kind of ended up averaging in that six and a half to seven and a half range. So season nine, episode one had, according to Wikipedia, 6.08 million. Eek. So I would have gone with 7.3 would have been my guess. Okay. Actually, it was my guess. I didn't voice it, but that was my guess. All right. Well, 6.08. Um, yeah, very, very low for a season premiere, but kind of in range with what the ratings were looking like at the end of season eight. So, you know, there's, it's a good news, bad news story, I would say there. Right. Um, and we actually already have the numbers for season nine, episode two, which we're going to talk about here tonight. And these ones are really low, 4.95. Now that's only... 
being a day um and and what the you know i always only quote the sort of live ratings they do add up the live plus three live plus seven and and get a total number but we're looking at four under five million for season nine episode two so we're you know, gonna you see know what the only conclusion i can draw from that is less people are watching the show uh, you know i hadn't thought of that but that's also very reasonable <laughs> okay but, what the was actual your conclusion? conclusion I came up with, which actually isn't as good as the one you just voiced, but uh, the one I was thinking of was uh, people don't like bridges. They knew that this one was about a bridge, and they went, eh, I'm not going to watch that. Who wants to watch a show about a bridge? You know, that's that's kind of an interesting point. Um, you you might be onto something there. Uh, but ultimately, less people are watching the show for whatever reason. Yeah. So, well, I didn't, you know, mine, the fact that I watched it twice didn't count towards those numbers. No, it didn't. Because I get it on iTunes mm-hmm. and uh, they don't count I'm, on those numbers. We've talked about this ad nauseum in the past, but yeah, uh, yeah, those numbers are uh, fairly low. They're just, going downhill. You know, just so we're comparing apples to apples here, I always quote these like live numbers that Wikipedia gets up as soon as possible. So we can see the trend over time. 4.95. Uh, I, I hope, and I have a feeling that that's going to go up a little bit as the season goes along, but I think this is the new reality we're in now. The Walking Dead is now a 5 million to 6 million viewer show when there was a time when it was a 15 to 17 million viewer show every week. So pretty different. Anyways, with the ratings out of the way, let's move on into our recap of season nine, episode two. Uh, This episode is called The Bridge, and it's dedicated to the loving memory of Pete the Repeater. The Bridge. The Bridge? The Bridge. Carl, there's nothing, nothing. It's just the dullest title I've ever seen to any program ever. (laughs) The Bridge. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for the two in attendance and the millions listening all over the world, let's get ready to hear Chris and Jason talk about The Bridge. The Bridge. The Bridge. All right. Thank you. Uh, All those title reads. That was Sir Wumpy Flump on the internet, Daniel on the internet, Chris in Las Vegas, Dave on the internet, and Anwen. Uh, in New Zealand. Nice. And we may be hearing more from her as the episode goes on. But let's move on into... Was she in the show? Is that is that why? Like, we're going to recap it, right? Was she in there somewhere? She's not on the show, no. Oh. Okay. Uh, she she may make another appearance on this show. We'll see. Oh, we'll I, see. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Jason, really quickly, uh, before I recap this thing... Did you have any general thoughts on the episode? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you fall in between somewhere? Uh, how do you think it stacked up as a follow-up to the big season premiere last week? You know, we do this every week. We've done this every week for, you know, quite some time. A long time. And uh, for some reason, I'm completely unprepared for that question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I think the only real thought I had about whether or not I like this is that the trailer, the Comic-Con trailer, spoiled the shit out of this episode. It did. And it did I'm show. a little bit disappointed that uh, 
that a lot of the iconic moments in this episode were in the trailer. That's an interesting point. You're right. I think a lot of the the, the scenes from the Comic-Con trailer came from this one and the first episode, but this one especially. Like, it really showed a lot of the big set pieces here. Um, there There is still some stuff from the trailer that we have yet to see in the, in a real episode, so there's more. But I get the feeling, you're right, I get the feeling that they they drew heavily from the early season nine episodes for that trailer. Every conversation that Rick had with Negan was in the trailer. Right. Well, yeah, we may not see, I, I, I well, maybe we will see more of their conversations, but you're right. No, this, I mean, in this episode, it was just like all the beats that their conversation had, which started off the episode and ended the episode mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, oh, holy crap, he's talking to Negan. Yeah. You know, it was completely spoiled by the, uh, by the trailer. So I was a little let down by that. And I think that may have colored my opinion overall of the episode. Hmm. So- uh, I know there were, like, we're going to talk about it, but there are highlights. There's things that I liked uh, finding out mm-hmm. about in this episode. Uh, there were things uh, that I didn't like. Uh, you know, I, I really liked there was more of Jody in this episode. Sorry. Justin. Uh, Justin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that was good. I'm uh-huh. sorry to see that he may have died. Well, we don't I know I wish yet. he was in the uh, series a little bit more, and I, <laughs> I really wish his... Uh, character from uh, uh, Shameless actually directly transferred into this episode because his character on Shameless was awesome. Okay. Well, I haven't seen that, but uh, I got to say, I thought this was a really, really good episode. I think they knocked this one out of the park, to be honest. Really? Yeah. And I think that we are two for two on season nine because I thought last week was really good too. So I'm so far very, very pleased with how season nine is going. I mean, just really quickly, I think that everything in this episode was on point. It was important. Nothing was wasted. Nothing felt kind of silly or out of left field. Um, there was some really great set pieces here, some uh, some action entertainment and some fairly emotional stuff. And then I, I, I realized after watching this episode and, you know, coupled with the first one that so far... I think the season nine feels very balanced in the way it's using the characters much more so than it has in some time. And that's not just because Daryl has more lines, uh, but that's probably (laughs) part of it. (laughs) It it might be, it might be, but you know, I feel like we've got the main characters, the lead characters in this are probably Rick, Daryl, Maggie and Michonne, right. And they're being spread out pretty well, pretty nice and evenly, I think. If we look at our secondaries, we've got Aaron, Eugene, Carol, Ezekiel, Father Gabe, Anne, Rosita, Tara, and Enid, and there could be some I'm I'm forgetting right now, but uh, I think they are also spread out nicely. None feel uh, like they're really over-supported, but none feel like they're missing either. And then somehow they've managed to mix in some of these new people, Justin, Tammy, and Earl, for example, in important parts that again feel good and feel like it's the right amount. So I just think they're they're doing a good job in balancing the show this year and I think that really adds to my enjoyment so far. Cool. So that's good. But overall I think it was a re- really great episode, but let's get started. Um as you already mentioned, the episode begins with Rick coming to talk to Negan, which we saw in the trailer, pretty much, you know, almost all of it. 
Um, now we don't see Negan at this point because it's a close up shot of Rick sort of in the dark talking to him. Yeah, it's more like a, uh, uh, what do they call it? you? You watch a lot of reality television, right? I watch zero reality. <laughs> t- it's it's like a talking head kind of confessional thing. Yeah, that's you know when they uh, they get the 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 people in the shows, characters, actors, whatever they are, they put them in front of a camera and they voice their thoughts. It was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the you know the part of the uh, the show where actually shit happens. It's the part of the show where the the person sits in front of a camera. And uh, the producer goads them on into talking about, you know, personal intimate stuff that they're bearing for the entire world to see. And then are, uh, you know, lightly ashamed of that for the rest of their lives. Right. I assume. Yeah, of course, based on the kind of things they talk about. But that's what Rick is doing here. But he's talking to Negan in his cell and he starts telling him about this day they had. So then we cut back to that day to see everything that goes down, everything that happens. And we find out that it was day 35. I have to assume, I wasn't clear quite the first time, but it's day 35 since Gregory was hanged. It's day 35 since they started rebuilding the bridge. And that's happened shortly after Gregory was hanged. I don't think we get an exact timeline, but yeah. Okay, so a little, about you know, five weeks after the Gregory uh, hanging, probably. Is that what 35 days is? Five times seven, 35? Yeah, about that. Right, Okay. Uh, but we see Rick walking through a camp in the woods. This is the camp they've set up nearby the bridge for like the, the working teams to live at. So they don't have to travel too far every day. And we see that directional sign from, from the trailer with uh, Toledo on it and stuff like that. And HQ. HQ. Yeah. Don't know exactly what that is, but probably Alexandria. Okay. Headquarters. No, it's the tent where they're organizing everything. Oh, yes, of course. Duh. That, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was confused because the other signs point to different towns instead of, you know, a local tent, but it makes sense. Right. Well, it's more of a MASH thing. Sure. I know. Right. So HQ is the tent at, in MASH where. Yeah, of course. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but he's walking you around. You didn't go to the Smithsonian TV area, right? You went to the Air and Space Museum. You didn't go to the TV and awesomeness section of the museum i went to the air and space museum i did not have time to go to any other museums but next time i'm definitely going to pick a few more those are tough choices my friend i'm sorry that you had to go through that that you didn't get to do both i would definitely make time to do both okay if i was going to washington dc i would pad the time i was there so that i could go to both spots i would really like to see the air and space museum i'd really like to see the swamp and uh hawkeye's boots for sure. I want to do all those things, and I've decided I want to take my kids back there someday and do all these fun things, because they would love yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rick, as I've said, was walking around. He says they're building, they're growing, everything's going well. You know, we see Tara and Anne and Rosita doing stuff. We see Jerry kissing Nabila, which, again, we already knew from the trailer, but that was exciting. And as he's walking around, he passes one final sign that's all by itself that says, The Future. It to po- the future! It points to the future. And Rick eventually comes to the bridge they're building, and he sort of gets up on the back of a trailer, and he looks The trailer. This is the same trailer, the same wagon that they pulled into Washington, D.C. It looks fine. There's nothing wrong with this wagon. I'm telling you. The tires are a little bald, you know, but that's okay. Fixable. Uh, But he gets up there, and he looks over the bridge, and you hear him say to Negan, we're not just fighting to survive anymore. 
we're making a new beginning. So he used last week's episode title this week. That's weird. <laughs> it is a little bit weird. Um, but that's it. It's a pretty quick cold open just to set the scene and give us an idea of what's going on. We go to the opening credits. Now, last week, Jason, you questioned whether there'd be changes to the opening credits. I don't believe there were. I didn't notice any. I tried to pay attention, but I mostly used my memory to mm-hmm. see if there was any differences. My memory didn't tell me there was any differences. Mine either. We still saw the noose. So yeah. if that was the one thing that might have been swapped out, it wasn't. So that's that's where we're at. Okay. After the opening credits, we come back to this episode. The bridge. Thank you, Edwin. And we're still at the camp. Now, Ezekiel is there helping Henry get ready because he has a job to do, of course. And he's telling him he should be proud of the work he's doing here and that someday he'll tell his grandkids about it. Which, Which he isn't convinced of at first because he thinks building a bridge is boring. But the king explains that roads are the lifeblood of civilizations. And without roads, you can't trade or travel or do anything like that. Right. Um, Carol shows up. Henry gives her a kiss before he leaves, uh, but then she hands him his staff because he needs that. Yeah, that's nice that they're getting along. They are. Um, Before she kills him. She's not going to kill him, man. I think Carol has turned over a new leaf and there'll be a lot less child murder in her future. Okay. (laughs) You don't think so? Well, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior that's fairly true um but still uh, i think these three look like a delightful happy little family now and i i quite enjoy watching them together yeah i I think they're great um ezekiel says he's going back to the kingdom and she's going back to sanctuary and he says that they have to find the small moments together and enjoy them when you do find them because you know, they're going to be apart for a while. So like I said, a happy family. I, I love these three right now. Yeah. No, and that's a, that's a very uh, apt thing to say in the zombie apocalypse that you uh, you have to find the little moments. And that's a, it's good advice for everybody. I think that's good advice in general for life. Don't skip over those things because someday you'll be old and realize that you missed all the little moments and regret it. Yeah. I mean, you might have dishes to do, you might have laundry to do, but uh, every once in a while you just got to sit back and listen to one of your favorite podcasts. That's a great idea, I think. Yeah. You know, what you can do washing dishes. I, I don't know if you've tried that, but it works. No, I have. I've done that. I don't need much brain power to wash dishes, so I can do both. Yeah. At the same time. Nice. Right. So we, uh, we go to Eugene and Rick. They're walking along. Eugene is giving rick an update on a whole bunch of things first of all an upstream levy that they have going he says that it'll last another six to nine days based on the current spring runoff Hmm. as they're walking rosita joins them with an update on some nearby herds so we get some more herd names here one is horatio she says it'll pass them by and it has about a hundred walkers in it and then horatio herd has a hundred walkers that's correct nice and then we've got margaret which is five times that size, so 500. And we learn that they have a plan to blow up a rock slide and use some sirens to redirect these herds, you know, around them or away from them. Good plan. Yeah. You know, it's it, that's a great idea rather than just waiting and seeing what happens in life. Actually go out and do some scouting and uh, plan on uh, these uh, these roamers. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And it's much better than trying to lead them away or redirect them some other way, right? It's like use some tools that 
are less dangerous than like getting in front of them and waving your arms and hoping they follow you. Cause that's not a good idea. Yeah. I mean, put a bunch of sound equipment on the back of a truck and blast ACDC. How hard is that? Well, you know, they put got, it on a wagon if you have to. Sure. They've got, but they've got, uh, crank sirens now. And I think that's it's cool. It's another good example. I think of them using a level of technology that would be available to them rather than driving around cars with a giant sound system and ACDC playing, you know? All right. What you do is you get a, you get a wagon with a horse on it and you put a set of drums in that wagon and you get somebody up, up, up there playing the drums. That's what I'm talking that's, about. That's like 1500s technology totally. right there. I don't know where you would get one of these sirens, but I know where to get a set of drums. You only even need one drum. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even just a cymbal. Yeah. You know? But I'd put a whole setup. If I was okay. going to have to bang a drum all day, I'd probably want to, you know, do Pro- some rocking. Properly play it. You know, I get, I get you. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then Rick asks Eugene about the walk-offs and we find that apparently about six saviors have just disappeared. So what's up with that? We don't really know yet. It's a mystery. It is a mystery. And then eventually we get to the, I don't know, infirmary tent, I guess. And Enid is there stitching up Cindy's hand, which she cut peeling a potato. She says, Rick comes up and calls Enid her, uh, the star student, which is cool. So it What's been going on here is Sadiq is has been training Enid in the ways of the doctor. <laughs> First aid. First aid. I would assume. That's what it's called, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Rick asks Sadiq to head home to treat a bug, so Enid will be handling herself now at the camp, which is great. I think this is a fantastic idea and a really fun development. Again, another good use of, of a character. I love to see Enid doing this stuff. Yeah, what does that mark her for death, though? Because doctors die in this show. I think we may have gotten past that, because I have a feeling Sadiq is going to hang around for a while, and I don't want to see Enid die. I like Enid. Me too, and that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. Like, no, that's when I first saw it. I'm like, no, they're making her into a doctor. That's the kiss of death. (laughs) Kiss of death. Well, I hope not. Uh, Anyways, Eugene, he finally starts talking about food and basically says it's getting slim. They're running out of food. Oh, something needs to be done there. We cut over to the hilltop and Maggie appears to be doing some kind of horse training, just or practicing riding a horse. Yep. Uh, Michonne arrives also on horseback and she says that apparently Sanctuary sent an ethanol shipment that never arrived. So these are some of the saviors that disappeared with the ethanol shipment. As far as we well, can. we need ethanol in case somebody drinks some antifreeze, right? We do. We need to know what to do. Well, now we know what to do when we dr- when you drink we antifreeze. Do. They yeah. don't. They don't. Uh, They've but- got a doctor, but they don't have any nurses. And June was a nurse, and she knew that. That's I assume true. that doctors don't know that stuff. I don't know. They probably do. But anyways, the ethanol never arrived, so that's suspicious. And then Michonne gets around to asking for more food for Sanctuary Jesus says they could do it. They have the supplies, but Maggie is concerned because her blacksmith Earl is locked up in jail and has been since the whole Gregory incident. And she says that we can't repair the plow without him. So what do we do? And Michonne suggests that everybody's suffering without him doing his job. So maybe he shouldn't be locked up. Yeah. So I guess a couple things we learned here is one, he's... Uh, not just allowed to go home. He was actually locked up. So for his part in the uh, the attempted 
murder, but she didn't hang him because she wasn't mad at him like she was mad at Gregory. Right. And she needed him because he's the only blacksmith, I assume? Well, he's the only blacksmith, but he's been out of commission for about five weeks now, so he hasn't been doing much blacksmithing. Uh, but we get more a little bit later about the whole thing and why she decided to keep him alive versus uh, Gregory. But Michonne makes a valid point here saying, look, I know what he did was terrible, but everybody is suffering because we don't have him to repair the plow and get the new seeds planted or, or you know, use the plow to plow the fields and get the new seeds planted. So what do we do? And, you know, is it fair that you just make this decision on your own, or maybe we should do these sorts of things by committee, or at least have some common laws between the different communities? You're goddamn right you should. Well, yeah. None of this just kind of deciding to do things like hanging people, like, that's just not right. No. It's not right. It's a decision that, you know, should probably have some consultation with varying opinions. So, uh, Michonne is right, and this is what she's been doing in the last two episodes, uh, but Maggie says, no, he's staying a prisoner for now. You know, he did try to murder me. So that's what's happening. Uh, we go over to the bridge building crew and Aaron is telling Daryl about being a father and relating a gross story about a diaper exploding. And then he says to Daryl that he would make a great dad. That's bullshit. I'm not so sure I'm on board, but you know. <laughs> whatever. I mean, you know, once you have a, have a kid come along, I mean, there's, a lot that can change in your personality type to, uh, to accommodate that kind of thing. So maybe he would make a great dad and Aaron recognizes that, that he would step up to the occasion mm-hmm. and become a, 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 a more significant actor in the show, if you will, uh, <laughs> so that, you know, things become more important to you as, uh, as, as time goes on. Yeah. Very, very, very likely. I mean, I, I know people in real life that I never thought would have been a good parent that, turned out to be a pretty good parent from what yeah. I can tell. You're, you're probably talking about me, but that's okay. I'm not talking about you, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a thing. It's a thing. So I think you're right. Aaron can maybe recognize this in Daryl, but to be fair, I have a hard time imagining it. Daryl being a father. Yeah. I mean, you can teach him about squirrel hunting. That's good. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're collecting. He you has know, lots he can of, pass on his love of ears. He has lots of knowledge to impart on his child. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he doesn't have two kids. If he has two kids, he's going to have the whole Merle, Daryl situation thing uh, come up again. Merle right? and Daryl. Yeah. So just one kid. Sure. Focus on that child. One at a time. Okay. Well, Henry is there. He's doing his job, which apparently is bringing water to the uh, the workers on the bridge. And Justin is one of those workers, but he wants more water than he's allowed. And he pushes Henry down. So good. he's a bit of a jerk. Uh, Henry gets up and uses his staff to trip him right onto his back, which was awesome. Uh, of course, Justin's not so happy about this. So he starts to approach Henry and Daryl comes up behind him and they end up fighting. Nice big fight. Some sand gets thrown in Daryl's eyes. That was sawdust. Uh, excuse me, sawdust. You're right. Anyways, you don't want to get it in your eyes. No, it's dusty. <laughs> it's dusty. It's not. Nice for your eyeballs. Uh, We go to a commercial and then return to the episode called... The Bridge, eh? Thank you. (laughs) Uh, And Rick and Eugene are coming through the forest talking about food and 
talking about making gazpacho out of uh, ketchup or something, I think. I don't know. It might be ketchup and pickles. <laughs> yeah, why not? I love a I good mean, gazpacho. That, I mean, maybe, maybe it would be I'm okay. I'm not sure I've ever had gazpacho. Oh, it's, it's, it's cold tomato soup, and I love it. I don't like tomato soup. Is it different than, you know, hot tomato soup? I find it different. Yeah, you usually have um, chopped up vegetables in it, too. And I don't know. I really like it. It's one of my favorite. I like pasta things. sauce. I like tomato juice. I do not like tomato soup. Maybe, maybe because it's hot. Maybe because that, it's hot. I don't know. I, it's gazpacho is not really like pasta sauce, and it's not like tomato juice. So no, of course, of course not. Somewhere I, in between. I do enjoy a good tomato juice. Okay, but I, I've, I've always, always hated tomato tomato soup. So maybe gazpacho is good, but I can't see myself ordering it. The only time I can see myself eating gazpacho is if somebody actually. Uh, I went to their house for dinner mm-hmm. and they just served it to me and I don't have a choice, right? I'm right. not going to be rude and say, this is bullshit. I Give me some <laughs> goddamn chicken, right? I would probably just eat it. And that's the only way I would ever do it. Okay. Well, I would never order it. All right. Well you, well, you can come over here and have it sometime. We make it. All right. Anyways, uh, they come to the bridge. They discover the fight that's happening and they run up and Rick breaks up the fight. Basically says, quit it. What the hell are you guys doing? We cut over to the camp and Daryl, Rick, and Carol are talking about what to do in the wake of this fight and uh, stuff like that. And Rick says that they just have to get back to work because they're almost done. Right? So, you know, put your differences aside and get this bridge finished. Um, Carol and Daryl aren't so convinced that the saviors are good people to work with, but Rick is trying to convince them that they have to move together or move forward together, right? They can't just cut them off or anything like that. And now we get that bit where Daryl is questioning Rick on whether they're really all on the same side. And uh, they kind of say to each other, you tell me, no, you tell me, I'm trying to, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but, he, but Rick also mentions that things have been a little bit different since Gregory and Carol suggests that maybe Rick is pushing the people too hard and some people just aren't ready for it yet. Like it'll take some time for all these different groups, especially the saviors to come together and really want to, to work together. So I think that's a pretty valid point and it can take years for that kind of animosity to die down. Right. If it ever does, that's the kind of thing that turns into the Hatfields versus the McCoys, right? Just a just this, feud that'll last generations yeah yeah exactly if it if it ever really does go away so um but at the same time i mean i do believe that trying to make this work is the right thing and i think if you just sort of cut them off and said forget it you're on your own now you'd probably be in a worse situation you know yeah i would think um anyways rick standing in the room alone now and he looks down at the desk there's a book. It's called The Key to the Future. That's the book from Georgie. So clearly they're using the knowledge in this book for, you know, various things that they have to do, including bridge repair. Right. Well, good. Yeah, very good. Um, Michonne, we go over to her back at Hilltop and she overhears Tammy outside asking Jesus if she can see her husband. And he's denying her, saying that Maggie won't allow it. So Tammy decides that she's not going to move from this stool in front of the basement door until she's let in. Good luck. Right. Well, it kind of works. Um, Michonne has now come outside on the scene. She chats with Jesus about whether he agrees with Maggie's decision. 
and he thinks Tammy should be let in, but he says he trusts Maggie. But um, Michonne uses this as an example of why they need to build something bigger than any one of us, because we need more than one person making these sorts of decisions. Because true. not one person ever always makes the right decision, right? Doesn't work. I know I don't. There you go. That's so. why I'm tempered with uh, the decisions my wife makes that uh, are always right. <laughs> yes, her decisions are always correct. Yeah, mine are not. No, well, you know, you, you work as a team. You decide things as a team. That's the that's right. way to do it. We discuss things, and we talk about them, and we weigh the pros and cons, and then we do what she decides. Perfect. But, you know, she's factored in your opinion at that point, so it all works out. That's the thinking. That's the idea. Okay. Uh, back at the camp now, we have Anne and Father Gabe sitting in a tent somewhere, taking a break, and she's drawing a picture of a woman for the good father. And he says she's very talented, thanks him for being nice to her when she was weird. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, and they agree that Rick is a good man who reaches out to people, and sort of, as they're talking, Anne takes his hand in what I thought was a nice, tender way. Mm-hmm. Slightly intimate, even. Oh, very intimate. She's like, this is overt, in my opinion. This is an overt uh, move. She's making a move on him. She is. Yeah, she is. I mean, that's that's great. I think these two make a, a I don't know, an unlikely couple. But I don't know. I like that. to see it. It's uh, weird, but. That's what I mean. It feels know? a little weird, but that's okay. Go with God. And when you think about it, they're really pairing people up here. We've got Ezekiel and Carol in a serious relationship now, if not a little bit funny. Yep. We've got Father Gabe and Anne getting together. We know Rick and Michonne are a thing. Um, still a thing. Still a thing, yeah. After after a, a year and a half or a couple of years now that they're still going strong, that's good to see. That's great. That's great. I, um, And, you know, there's there's an... In my opinion, we'll get to it in a bit, but there's another relationship in this episode that I feel like might be in the early stages of blossoming. Rick and Negan? No, not that one. I'll mention it when we get there. I think okay. I think it's a whole different thing. Uh, we cut into Hilltop Inside. Maggie is there playing with baby Herschel. And on the wall is a bunch of paintings done by Anne of former characters on the show, which is yeah. cool. I think it's mostly Maggie's family. Well, I see, uh, you know, I saw Glenn. Who else did you see? I, I think, it's not in front of me, but I think Herschel's up there. And Herschel's, maybe both of Herschel's partners are up there. Uh, uh, whom were not very prominently featured on the show. So, right. Uh, so that's the thing. I think it's mostly Maggie's family, all done by Anne, we're led to believe. Uh, but Jesus is in there, and he sees another letter from Georgie and asks if the twins dropped off another letter, which I thought was interesting. So we know they've had continued communication with that group. Yep. And they're bringing them more and more information. Uh, and we learn that Georgie has been asking them to join, but Maggie says she'd rather build a future right here, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Maggie sort of finishes by saying, I like her ideas, but not that much. Which to me mm. is an interesting take on it in slightly ominous. Like, what kind of ideas could she have that Maggie would like, but not that much? You know what I mean? Uh, maybe it's uh, multiple partner marriages. <laughs> you know, we got to repopulate the earth and we need a, a large genetic pool. So maybe uh, 
everybody has to be married multiple times. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to people. procreate with everybody. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, but, you know, maybe it's just, you know, some people don't like that idea. A little tough to swallow, maybe, after depending on what you're used to. Yep. So, yeah, okay, could be that. I'm just, I just thought it was a curious thing to say. It's like, you know, she's got good ideas and she's given us all this information, but we don't want to join her because we don't really know, you know, what's going on or something like that. So I think it's going to be fun to find out more as the show goes on. Yeah, maybe this just uh, one of the customs they've adopted instead of shaking hands is slapping each other across the face. Maybe Maggie doesn't like that. Listen, if the if the apocalypse ever happens and you and I are in charge of uh, rebuilding society, can we make one change? And that is to eliminate the handshake and replace it with the fist bump. <laughs> because the fist bump transfers a lot less germs from hand to hand. We will we will be a healthier civilization if we do that. Why don't I don't want to just bump elbows? You could do that, but the fist bump's nice and easy, and people already know how to do it. Yeah. All right. I'm not. I'm not convinced. <laughs> oh well. Okay. If it's you like the fist bump, I never would have thought that. Um, I like it for those reasons. I and I, you know, handshakes. Eh, I don't know. Some people's hands I don't want to touch, but you know, bumping knuckles, you don't really get the same effect. Yeah. Well, think of it this way: every hand you shake has probably held a penis in the last twenty-four hours. <laughs> I don't know about everyone. Yeah, pretty much everyone. Not in the last twenty-four hours. Okay, well, then, you know, recently. Yeah, sure, recently. Fine, I could see that. <laughs> pretty every, much, every pretty hand, much. I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of them. Every hand you've ever shaken has probably held a penis at some point. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully they've washed their hands since then, but uh, I'm just saying. Okay, thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Now I really <laughs> want to do the fist bump. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where the hell were we? Uh, Oh, yes, of course. Jesus and Maggie, they end up talking about Tammy and Earl, and he convinces Maggie to let her see him. uh, And he reiterates Michonne's ideas about having a set of laws or creating a set of laws. So Maggie brings Tammy down to a cell that she has Earl in. And I got to admit, I thought Tammy and Earl had a nice reunion here. He says that they're treating him fair and that he made a big mistake. And Maggie standing there overhears them talking about Earl being an alcoholic. Uh, You know, 20 years ago, he'd been sober for 20 years until Gregory convinced him to drink again. Damn, Gregory, he should die. See, now you're on board. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm joking. It can go either way. Sure. Uh, we cut over to Rosita and Arat, who are setting up the dynamite for this rock slide we heard about. And they talk about trust, and we're reminded that Arat sliced Rosita in the face with a knife at one point. But look at them now, working together, setting up explosives. Yeah, they're working work, working together well. They've got this, you know, box of dynamite open where they have a, you know, a detonator wired up right next to it. Doesn't seem safe. Then they yell fire in the hole and don't give anybody a chance to react before they push the plunger down. Well, I think it's just the two of them. I don't know why. No, but still, why yell fire in the hole if, uh, you know, you don't give somebody, you yell fire in a hole and you give it a couple of second count just to make sure that nobody goes, holy shit, what the hell are you doing? Right. Uh, But, you know, I'm not sure I would have known that. So I would have just been excited to yell fire in the hole and then hit that thing. And maybe Rosita has that problem too. Maybe. You know, blowing shit up 
probably is a lot of fun. And you should be careful. You, I, you know, you, you, I see your point. Yeah. Uh, anyways, then they detonate the charge, as we said, and you see a big herd of zombies turn to approach that sound. We go to a commercial break and then return to this episode titled Le Bridge. Thank you. <laughs> that one was French, Jason. Yeah, I caught that. All right. I caught that. Did you catch before we had? I, I did. Canadian. Uh, sorry, my tone of voice got away from me like I didn't know what the other ones were, but <laughs> yes, I caught that. All right. <clears throat> uh, we come back and Maggie comes alone to Earl now and asks him about his drinking. He's still in the cell. And she says, or he says that he was drunk the day that Ken was born. He doesn't even remember the first time he saw him. And he relates this story about driving drunk with Ken in the car when he was a child. And he says that, you know, after that, he thought Tammy would leave him, but she didn't. So that turned his life around. He he never had a drink after that until recently, um, which is why he made this recent mistake of trying to murder her. Well, maybe he shouldn't drink at all if when he drinks, he tries to murder people. I think that's kind of what he's saying. Yeah, he admits to... It being this kind of thing being in him, you know, he didn't do it because Gregory told him to do it, uh, which I don't think is sort of really helping his case much, but at least he admits that. And then he asks um, why Maggie hung Gregory and not him. Uh, and he admits that, you know, Greg didn't make him do anything, as I said, but he's also happy that um, he, he also says, Maggie, you know, he asks if. Or she asks him, do you think I made a mistake? And he says, uh, he says, no, right? Yeah, so she, she totally avoids the question. You know, why did you hang him but not me? You think I was wrong? But fucking answer the question, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Maggie now has a little bit more information to base her, her sort of feelings and opinion on here. Uh, we go over to Tara, and she's up in a cherry picker, way up high. On the lookout, and she radios that to Rick that Horatio has hit its mark, and so Jerry uses a siren to attract the herd. So they are expertly directing herds around the place here. Yes, they are. Where did they get that siren? Where can you get those? Can you get those? Well, I don't know where you can get them, but as I said earlier, I think it's probably appropriate technology to be using some sort of manual crank siren. But yeah. look them up. I bet you could find one somewhere. Yeah, but they don't have eBay, right? No, but they have access to any leftover surplus stores or anything. You know, you you dig them up somewhere. I think they got them at the museum? Maybe, or maybe, you know, Hilltop had a supply in the basement that they hadn't used in 40 years, and they dug them out and said, hey, this would be handy. Okay, well, or, I, just, I wouldn't know where to get one of those. You yeah. know, a walkie-talkie, I could find that probably... A rifle, I could find that. A knife, probably some wood to make a bridge, yes. Uh, you know, various fruits and vegetables in order to make uh, gazpacho. If I had a recipe, maybe. But, uh, you know, that I wouldn't know where to find. You got to remember, there's like a couple hundred people across all the communities, maybe even more. So you get everyone together and be like, does anyone have anything that might be useful? We need something to make noise. Um you know, anyone have any ideas in a group of a few hundred people, someone might raise their hand and be like, I used to 
work in a factory floor that had 600 people on and we used this crank siren to indicate lunchtime, right? Why don't we go pick that up? It'll make noise. Like those kind of are things you, happen. Are you suggesting that I don't know everything? I like may that we have to crowdsource some information on just because I don't know where it is, somebody else might? I mean, Jason, this idea is just coming to me now after nine years of doing this podcast that maybe you and I don't know everything. Between me and my brother, we know everything. Okay, but he's not so here. So that's probably one of the things he knows. I guess so. I guess so. So yeah. invite him on and we'll find out what he knows that you don't and vice versa. Yeah, we'll have a conversation. Very good. <laughs> uh, so Jerry starts using this siren and now Tara is trying to get in touch with Piper 2 because Jerry is Piper 1. That's his call sign. Piper 2 is supposed to use another siren, but he's not responding. And she says that if the herd isn't redirected again soon, they're going to write, they're going to run right into our lumber crew. Now, this is kind of a conversation she's having on the radio with Rick. Meanwhile, Rick is trying to have a face-to-face conversation with Alden, who wants to talk about the AWOL survivor, uh, saviors. Right. Uh, and we're sort of going back and forth a little bit here, but Alden says that none of the guys made it back home, which is weird because some of them had families. One of them had a new baby. And Rick basically says that he'll try to protect people, you know, and, um, you know, give them what they need. And Alden says, so people work for you and you protect them. Who does that sound like? <laughs> right. <laughs> a good leader. A good leader who you respect. Exactly. Um, but basically, yeah, Alden is worried about these guys who have walked off and haven't come back. In the meantime, though, Rick is trying to deal with this Walker situation, Walker direction, you know, plan. Um, and I thought this was a good scene because it sort of showed the, in a way, the chaoticness of things where Rick's trying to deal with so many things at once and trying to keep it all straight. And he has to go back and forth between these two things. So one of the themes of this episode was Rick doing a lot of things and maybe doing too much and pushing people too hard, taking too much on his own plate, for example. And I think this scene outlined that well. It it did. I mean, delegate for crying out loud. You know, if you're, if you're going to be in charge of everything, that's fine. But, uh, you know, find some people that uh, know what they're doing and let them do it and, instead and, of you doing it. If, yeah. you're, if you're the bottleneck, then things are going to get fucked up. Right, that's not good. And and I think he's doing that to a degree, but he needs to let go of more and put other <clears throat> good people in charge. Yeah, I put somebody in charge of Walker, you know, herd direction. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in charge of that. Make sure the herd doesn't kill anybody. And, you know, if you, there's coordination or decisions need to be made on that basis, take care of it. Sure, or come to me if something isn't working out, and then we'll we'll figure it out. But day to day, just take care of it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we cut over to this lumber crew that we heard about and it's Daryl and Aaron and a bunch of other people and they're loading big logs into piles and they are attacked by zombies because Piper two didn't do his job and sound the siren. Big, very light logs. Well, so light. Okay, fine. I know no human being could move those logs by themselves, but they're using ropes to haul them up on ramps kind of. Right. Okay. So. Okay, Aaron gets hurt, right? We know that now. He does. But why would you, like, that log has got to weigh 700 pounds, probably like twice as much as that. But let's just say a 
you know, 700, 500 pounds. Five, that's it. Immovable. It's a very light log. Mm-hmm. 500 pounds. You got four guys moving this thing. Two of them are underneath the damn log. Wrong. Like, just plain wrong. Terrible idea. Don't do that. Because if anything goes wrong whatsoever, you're going to get your arm crushed, and they're going to have to cut it off with a bone saw. Or, or worse. I mean, so what happens, of course, is the zombies attack. They fight back. Uh, Daryl has this awesome two-handed double knife kill, which was amazing. Uh, but Aaron gets his arm stuck under this log, and he can't get away. That's because the same shithead that goaded on Jody in uh, in the previous scene to go and attack the kid uh, was at the top of this log, uh, hauling it up, and he just let go and jumped out. He did. He was well, afraid. Daryl said, "Bug out now," and that's what the guy did. Well, uh, I mean, he was following you know, orders. Take a, take a second to uh, assess the situation you're in before you just drop. Uh, you know, your one quarter of a thousand pound log uh, onto, uh, onto, onto your buddy. Yeah. Just take a second to think about that. No, I get it. I mean, he, he could have done that, but, uh, you know, it, it seemed like an accident. You know, he, he, he was panicking and he got the hell out of there and Aaron paid the price. He got his arm mangled under this log. Um, but they get it off of him. They managed to get it off of him and Daryl picks him up. They start to run away, but, you know, a zombie gets right up behind them. And just in time, Rick and a whole bunch of crew of the crew show up to help fight off these zombies. That mangled arm looked awesome. It did. Did you see that? That was disgusting. And when he pulled the arm out, it was just this floppy mess. It was brilliant. It was amazing. It was the best thing in this whole episode. It was really well done. I looked at that and was like, oh my God, that's disgusting in the most amazing way. Like, they really did a good job with the mangled arm. Very much so. Uh, Anyways, they're fighting off these zombies. I thought this was a great hand-to-hand zombie battle. I I love this whole set piece, to be honest with you, despite the fact that the log was movable by humans. I thought everything here was was great. It was exciting. I was worried. I'm like, oh my God, he's stuck under that log. There's no way he's getting away from these zombies. I was genuinely concerned for Aaron's life. Uh, the only part that I thought was a little weak is as soon as Rick realizes that he can cut the rope holding up these logs, let them roll down the hill and and uh, mash all the zombies, Yeah, he's like right there and he decides to stand still and shoot the rope instead of running over and chopping it with an axe that he's been using to kill zombies. Yeah, if only he had an axe or some kind of chopping uh, device that could have helped him in that situation instead of taking his twenty two caliber rifle and shooting at a rope. I know. It's like even if you hit the rope, even if you actually hit the rope in the middle of the rope, it probably wouldn't sever the rope. The you know, the that kind of rope is very stretchy. Uh-huh. It probably just would have moved aside probably. for the bullet. Probably right? it just would have went, whoa, that was weird and then continued I'm gonna continue to hang on to these logs. <laughs> yeah, like go chop it with your axe, idiot. I know. I agree. I I kind of appreciated the the moment it gave us with Rick steadying his rifle, taking a breath, using the force, and shooting this rope. But it was sort of dumb. Just run over. You have a hatchet on your belt. Run over and chop it. I get it. Uh, yeah. But I still liked it. I thought the logs rolling down the hill, just demolishing the zombies as they went, was awesome. So more like really extreme, like head exploding gore uh good stuff yeah. good stuff i thought 
You know they don't make frog frog crotch bullets. I don't even They're know probably, what that. Does that make sense? To you? I know that all, doesn't make sense. To you. I know all those words, but not in that order. <laughs> so they make frog crotch uh, arrows, right? The arrowhead is actually uh, not just a, a pointy arrowhead, but it looks like a, a frog crotch. It's got a it's like a half moon, and it's sharp on the on all on the inside. I can't, and it's meant for. What? I can't say I know what a, the crotch of a frog looks like. It's like a half moon. Like, imagine, a, look it up on the internet, frog crotch arrow. It's a thing for, it's an arrow specifically designed to cut rope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, they don't make them, uh, they don't make bullets like that. Bullets are all pointy. All of them, except for, you know, hollow point, which, but they're kind of mostly pointy. Sure. Okay. So they don't, you know, don't try and shoot ropes with, with bullets. It doesn't work. You can't do it. All right, fair enough. Uh, but frog crotch arrows, sure. Did you look it up? That makes sense now. Kind of, I guess. Yeah, I see. I see some pictures here. <laughs> yeah, I okay, still think it's weird. Uh, well, what happens? They eventually get Aaron out, and they get away, and they kill a bunch of zombies. So, um, I enjoyed it. I really liked the scene. I thought it was a great action set piece, and a unique way to you know take down some ATSTs too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what the Ewoks would do. That's what I'm saying. So back at the camp, uh, Daryl brings Aaron in to see Enid in a panic, of course, and she decides that she needs to amputate his arm. So she is suddenly called up to the big leagues all of a sudden here. she's ampu- she, she goes from putting some stitches in a hand to amputating a dude's arm. Like, that is that is a big jump. Yeah, she did it wrong, but that's okay. Whatever. She, she, she stepped up. She stepped up, exactly. She needs Daryl to hold him down while she cuts it off. And again, thought it was great. I thought uh, Caitlin did a fantastic job in this scene. And everything about it, I thought was amazing. Yeah. Really good. I mean, you could see the thought process. It's like, okay, I got to cut off his arm. What do I need? I need a, a saw and a blowtorch and some rope. Right. You know? and, and you're all set. But she also had a manual. She had a book there that was sort of, you know amputation 101 and uh yeah that's the, the, that does helped. it say don't cauterize the the wound because that should probably be written in large print oh it well because it, it sure it stops the bleeding but it's a good way to kill the kill the arm because the blood vessels just end right right the 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 veins don't connect to the arteries oh. and so the blood doesn't get back to your heart it just all kind of pools there yeah. uh, and gets stuck and it's like you're going to die. Like okay. you're going to, he's, he's, Aaron's going to die. He's got to die. He can't survive that. Oh, he's surviving. He is going to have no arm now. I know, but. Okay. If <laughs> it was real, if this show was real, it didn't have, you know, everybody had soft heads and very, and very light logs and such. Sure. Then, uh, he would die. Okay. Well, I think he's surviving. I think Enid stepped up and got it done. And. Here is where I will throw out my theory on another couple that they are introducing into this show. I am getting some vibes between Daryl and Aaron. What do you think? Later on. Why not? Yeah. I, you know, they seem to be spending a lot of time together and I've never seen Daryl like more concerned for almost anybody. Really? Daryl was in a panic here. He sat, with him later on the ep- later on in the episode he's still sitting with him but even in this scene when Enid says we're gonna have to amputate both Daryl and Aaron are like what 
what are you about to do? Are you sure that's a good idea? And then Enid hesitates for a second, of course, as you probably would. And then um, Aaron says, do it. And he grabs Daryl's hand, which is resting right on his chest. And I'm like, I think they're setting these two guys up together for a thing. And that's awesome. That would make me so happy. It would. Like, so happy. It's... it. I, I'd be happy for those guys and, and just everything. So I don't know. I think I think it might be a thing. We'll have to see. Maybe I'm crazy, but it looks to me like they're getting together. I would really like that. I'm uh, my uh cynicism is creeping in here, but they they can't do that. Like they won't do that, will they? Why? But they should. I don't know why. I mean but it's it's almost uh like subverting expectation a little bit. We know Aaron is gay. We know Jesus is gay, but they're not going to put those two together. They're going to put uh, Aaron and Daryl together, a guy who we don't know much about his sexuality. He's come close, or maybe not close, but there's been a close relationship between him and Carol at times, and everyone's like, oh my god, they must be in love, get them together, but maybe they haven't, because Daryl is gay. Yeah, Carol knows that, and that's or, why she went over to Ezekiel. Right, or or Daryl is somewhere, you know, in that realm. Yeah. He's his own Sexuality thing. Sexuality is a, is a spectrum. You know what I'm saying. So I do. So, you know, I think that's great and exciting. and Very exciting. I'm, I, that would make me so happy. I'm just, I'm worried that the uh, the show will shy away from that kind of thing. Wow, why? We've had multiple homosexual no. characters on the show already. No, I know that. I'm... <sighs> How do I, I don't know if I can articulate this properly. Uh, I worry that the producers won't have such a prominent character like Daryl. I'm worried that they would be afraid of that. They shouldn't be, and it doesn't make any sense that they would. But like I say, it's my cynicism about the fears of uh, show producers uh, and what they will and will not do. I think this might fall into that realm, and I hope to God it doesn't, and that they go down this road road because this would be awesome. I think it would be great. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, I got the vibes here in this episode, so I think it could be a thing. Yeah. Well, Angela, push the envelope. Let's do this. Do it. Uh, But right now, we see Enid start to saw into his arm, and then we cut to Daryl comes storming out of the tent, and he goes to find... Justin being scolded by Carol for, I guess, not doing his job. And he was supposed to be the second siren, as we know. Daryl starts kicking the shit out of Justin before Carol steps in to stop this fight again. And she says that they'll deal with it, but not like this. And Daryl's response is that there's really only one way to deal with these assholes, And I think what he's saying is to just cast them off and stop trying to help them because they're never going to fall in line. That's I think Carol needs to take over sanctuary duties. When she has, and I think that's probably a good thing right now uh, for for everybody. So we go to a commercial break and return to this episode, which just in case you forgot, Jason, is titled... The Bridge. Thank you. Uh, And we are with Maggie on her balcony uh, at Hilltop. Michonne comes out and commends her on how successful Hilltop is. And now all of a sudden Maggie has come around to all these ideas. She agrees to talk about having a common system of laws. She's decided that she will send food for 
the sanctuary. Uh, Earl has been freed, although he is working under supervision, but he's back to work fixing the plow and doing all the blacksmith stuff he needs to do. And Does she, he really need to be supervised while he's blacksmithing? I think he mostly needs to be supervised when he's at home uh, at night, potentially drinking. I think he's with Tammy, though, and I think when he's at home privately with her, because of what he told Maggie, I don't think he's got anything to worry about, or I don't think there's anything to worry about with him there, right? Yes, he probably doesn't need supervision when he's out working either, but... You know, just trying to keep the guy in line and make sure he's put all his murdering tendencies behind him. He's got some supervision. Right. It's like, okay. it's like work detail, right? He's out there working, but there's a guard, you know, walking around the yard, making sure everybody's staying safe or in line. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense. I mean, sure. Except that they're tying up a guy with a shotgun to watch the blacksmith. Well, I guess, but you know what? At least he's free-ish. He's doing something. He's not in a cell in a basement anymore. Yeah, which he made, right? Yeah, yeah, that's like, right. Did Maggie say that? I have a problem with that cell. Any self-respecting metal worker would not have put that wrought iron fence gate up as uh, a, uh, as bars for a jail cell without scraping the rust off. I mean, he's a blacksmith. He's going to scrape the rust off of those friggin' bars. If for no other reason to make them look nicer? I Just, you know, have a little pride in your work, my friend. Don't just put them up. Scrape the rust off. Okay. I would. I didn't even... I don't even like working in metal, and I would scrape the rust off. I didn't even notice the rust, but I suppose you're probably right. Clean them up a bit first. Um, Did I say Maggie also agrees that a council will help her make decisions from here on in. So it's not just going to be Maggie. It's going to be a council of people. And hopefully they come to the, you know, best conclusions on all the issues. Yeah. And that just reminded me of a, a saying that uh, a guy I knew, Mark, uh, he used to say, a mm-hmm. camel is a horse designed by a committee. Right. Exactly. Committees don't, they never get it wrong. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, well, it's a horse. Yeah. Okay. So it works. It walks around. You know what? It needs to carry its own water supply. We better put a hump on it then so mm-hmm. it can carry a bunch of water and we better make its, you know, legs really long. And it's like, they just had to talk about it and get the whole thing, uh, all the features in that they could possibly cram into that, uh, that one pack animal. Sure. Um, why not? So that's what they're, that's it's how- not bad. It just takes longer, but you're going to get more features. Uh huh. More features and hopefully come to the right conclusion. And maybe less hanging. Right. Or or hanging at the right times. Yeah, a little due process. That's all I ask. There you go. Uh, of course, this is all, Maggie has come around all because she says her dad was a drinker and he was given a second chance. So she uh, decided to give Earl a second chance. But she also says she doesn't regret what she did to Gregory. <laughs> no, she wanted to kill him, so she did. That's right. Uh, we go to the camp at night and Justin makes a crack to Rick about keeping his dog tied up or whatever. He's talking about Daryl, of course. He says Daryl almost killed him over nothing. And Rick kind of gets pissed off at this. He relates a story about picking up dipshits, he said, when he was a cop and how some of them just sit there running their mouth off the whole time. And Rick ultimately tells him to pack up his stuff and get out of there first thing in the morning. Um, but Justin's like, I'm leaving right now. Screw you, Rick. Yeah. Yep. 
Getting the hell out Bye. of there. See ya. Yeah. Not wait until morning. I'm going now. Um, Rick goes to see Aaron now, who now is resting and has no arm below the elbow. So the amputation was a success, I have to think. <laughs> they successfully cut off that arm. They Great. sure did. They sure did. It's the next part that's really a problem. Well, Enid says that he'll be okay. And Daryl is sitting there with him, which again, I think is like, Daryl doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would sit there with him, but I'm telling you, they're setting these two people up. It's the beard. How can you resist that beard? It's so glorious. Oh, it is a nice beard. But what part are you referring to when it comes uh, as a problem here? Oh, it's that the arm is going to get infected and he's going to die. Oh, right. She even says, can, if we can keep it from getting infected, right? Yeah. So they I mean, know. there's... The blood vessels aren't connected. It's like, well, let's just hope that Aaron's body uh, has enough wherewithal to figure out how to reconnect its veins to its arteries and then keep the blood flowing so that uh, we don't have to keep chopping off more and more of his arm until we get to that beard. And God forbid we have to cut off that beard. Well, you don't want to do that. Uh, Doctors out there, does Jason have a point here? I want to know from an uh, an expert opinion on this. Well, expert, I mean... You know that veins connect I, arteries, I, right? So that, you, you know, the shit, the blood gets back to your heart and uh-huh. they can go through that whole process again. Yep. If you cut it off and carterize the wound, cauterize the wound, uh, you know, you're cutting off blood flow. Where's that blood going to go? It can't flow through there unless your body figures out how to do that. That's it's why amputations take a long time. They're like, okay, first of all, we don't just cut it off. We have a flap of skin that we can, you know, that we cut around so we can, you know, put it over the stump. And then we slowly connect the, uh, the veins to the arteries and we sew everything up all nice, nice and, mm-hmm. and put it all back together. And then, uh, you know, pump them full of hard antibiotics to not let them die. Sure. They don't have that. They're doing, they're cut off his arm in a tent for crying out loud. Sure. They at least have the antibiotics, I think. But you're saying that doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, I mean, just Enid sawing, you know, just starting to saw and has a blowtorch. You know, sawing a blowtorch is not going to not gonna cut it. <laughs> not for arm amputation anyways. Uh, but they think he's going to be okay. And Rick goes over to Aaron and apologizes for letting this happen. But Aaron says that the price he paid was worth it, considering everything that Rick has done and how he has changed things around here. He says that he sees this as the start of a new world, not the end of the old one anymore. Well, there you go. To the future. To the future. Follow that sign. It was pointing right to the future. All right. So we cut over to Father Gabe and Anne sitting at night on a bench on watch, and they're listening to frog mating calls. Speaking of yeah. frog crotches. <laughs> She's going at him hard. Hard. Um, they and he's reciprocating, talking about mating calls. It's like, oh, all those frogs out there, they're having sex it's a, right now. It's a frog. Imagine? Wild frog party, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wants to know about the woman she drew for him, though. And he reveals that it was the organist from uh, the church. He says, a person I cared very much for. Yeah, that's a euphemism, I'm sure. I guess so, in a way. The organist. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the organist, getcha. Right. Yeah. Now... He mentions he's Episcopalian, not Catholic, so his vows don't prohibit him prohibit him from being with a woman. Convenient. <laughs> yeah, that's handy. So they kiss passionately, but he stops because they are supposed to be on watch. And she says, all right, then watch, and starts undoing his pants. Yeah. 
okay, you know, you have to, there's, you have responsibilities, folks. I mean, if you're on watch, you don't have uh, a one-eyed man getting some being a responsible person on watch. Well, that's why he's there with Anne, because she has two eyes and they're tag teaming this, this duty. She's going to be busy for a little while and he's only got one eye. Right. And he's probably going to be watching anything but the surrounding area. So, so dereliction of duty right there. I just, I'm a little disappointed. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I suppose if they're not doing their job, but if you're going to have sex, that's fine. Just don't do it while you're on duty. Yeah, fair enough. I guess that's that's a good good point. Um, but doesn't sound like they're, it's going to stop them in this moment. But at least his one eye will still be looking around the surrounding area. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess we go to a commercial break one last time and come back to this episode, which is called the bridge. And uh, Rick comes. To the camp at night, he stands there watching his people around a campfire. All seem to be having a nice time. They all seem very happy. We have we 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 go to Carol and Ezekiel. She asks if he still has the ring and wants to try it on. Um, he goes to get down on one knee, which I thought was funny, and then she shoots him down from that again. But she does put on the ring, which is nice. Um, yeah. So it's like they're married now. Wow. Well, I- engaged okay I mean, there's fine. a whole other step that you have to go through yeah right you're aware of that right wait really crap i better go <laughs> oh no, man i better go check the documentation from 20 years ago i can't just sign a piece of paper that i wrote myself and say <laughs> you me married lady check a box and we're done check a box get a ring lose it get another one yeah that's right i'm on that my second well anyways it's okay they're engaged now which is fun and then Rick sort of pauses for a moment to look over his subjects, and uh, then he joins them. Now, at this point, we kind of go back to his conversation with Negan as we see him going to this campfire. He was saying it was a hard day, but as bad as it was, they all came together, and it's human nature to come together. And so finally, Negan speaks. We haven't heard him say anything before now in the uh-huh. episode or yeah. last week. And he says that he wants to see this new world. Uh, but Rick says, nope, you're going to die behind these bars. So good luck with that. But uh, Negan questions whether Rick really has anything under control. He says that eventually things will all go to shit. And then mentions Carl's name, which really pisses off Rick. Rick says you can't speak his name. And Negan kind of finishes with, you're not saving the world, Rick. You're getting it ready for me. <laughs> and that's a pretty good line, I think. I like it's that. Not bad. It's not bad. And ominous. Boy, is it ever ominous. Yeah. Because if Negan ever gets out of there, you know, he's got some plans, it sounds like. Yeah. And Rick should not go talk to Negan. He's not a sounding board. He's not. I've talked about this from the trailer, but he's not going to come around. No. He's not going to uh, change his ways because you're having a conversation. He's not going to lament over the loss of his his life. You know, really, not that his life is in he died, but his life is in, you know, being able to exist outside of this cell. Yep. Uh, he's just going to fuck with your head. That's what he does. He's going to mention Carl every time, every chance he gets because he knows that's a good button to press. Totally. Don't go talk to Negan. Just throw him in a hole and forget about him. Forget about him. Give him a a plate of food every day and. You really want to torture him? Don't let him talk to anybody. 
You know, how how much of a hell must, must that be for him? Well, I mean, if there's one guy that loves the sound of his own voice, it's him. So, yeah, don't give him anyone to talk to. Yeah, you're you're giving aid and comfort to the enemy. Don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. That line, you're not saving the world, Rick, you're getting it ready for me, reminds me of that line that Rorschach says in Watchmen. And I don't really want to spoil it, but do you know the line I'm talking about? I know the line you're talking about. Yeah, it reminds me of that a little bit. Great line. It's a very good line. I I feel like maybe the Joker had said that at one point too. Like the no, are you sure? Okay, maybe not. Unless we're not thinking about the same line. Um, no. It well, if I think we probably are, but anyways, it reminded me of that, and I liked it, and so pretty good. Uh, you know, in in Watchmen and in Walking Dead. All right, so just before the episode ends, we see Anne. She's now up in the cherry picker, so I guess she finished her business with Father Gabe. and Organist duties. (laughs) Her her organist duties. And then went up in the cherry picker, and she hears and sees the lights on a helicopter in the night sky and looks kind of concerned about it. So there's our helicopter again. Who are they? What are they doing? I don't know. And then finally, the last scene of the episode is Justin walking around in the dark, drinking a bottle of booze. He hears a noise and at first sort of gets his guard up, but very quickly it seems like he recognizes someone in the woods and he says, you almost got yourself killed, but suddenly he's kind of yanked sideways as if he's being attacked or possibly shot because it sort of sounded like there was a gunshot there, but I wasn't quite sure of what was going on, but he gets yanked off screen and cut to black the end you think that's his buddy that go to the mon that dropped the uh, the log on aaron um that's, that's who i think it is or or don't you think it's some of these saviors that have walked off and deserted oh no he's killing those guys anybody who leaves like uh justin did he just kills them who kills them the guy the 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 buddy that uh that go to the mon after he got uh Laid on the ground by what's his name? By Hanaf. Yeah, yeah, he, that guy, and he was also at the top of the uh, the log pile, holding onto the rope, and he was responsible for dropping the log on Aaron's arm. Mm-hmm. So same guy. Are you saying uh, that this guy has an agenda, and the, all these things are on purpose? I I assume so. Well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. I thought he was just like some dick savior that was you know doing some work, but kind of a jerk otherwise. Yeah, that's what they want you to think. I think he's he's got this uh he's got some kind of agenda. He's trying to he's trying to mess with shit. So you think it's that guy that Justin sees out in the woods that night. Um but why is he sort of so violently yanked off screen? Like, I don't know. Maybe he's a werebear. <laughs> well, maybe there's more people involved, I don't know, but uh <laughs> I assumed it was the the deserting saviors that uh the, oh, you think there, there's a crew of them and that they just, they yanked him, say, we, we need to get you off the road in order to, uh, I, you don't think they killed Justin? Um, well, the, again, I'm not sure. I don't know. So, because it did sort of sound like a gunshot, but then I think, you know, you probably wouldn't just shoot a gun in the middle of the night like that. Um, you just attract attention. So I don't know. I just thought he ran into some of his, his old buddies and now they're starting this crew of people that are against Rick and everybody like that. So I don't know. I guess there's a few possibilities. Isn't that how the rebels got started uh, when they were fighting against the empire in star Wars? 
by yanking the rebels and and rick and and daryl are the empire well yeah maybe i mean the ones in power (laughs) so well i am not sure we will have to we should call him darth daryl from now on darth daryl yeah who's the emperor rick that's rick yeah okay of course uh and that's it so yeah man i just you have to reiterate, I thought this was a really good episode. Everything, everything in here worked for me just about, uh, except for Rick trying to shoot that rope. But even that I thought was one of those cool <laughs> moments, you know, and I'm kind of yeah. okay with it. Well, to be fair, John Dory could have shot that rope. Yes. See, John Dory can shoot a rope. That's because he, his bullets morph into frog crotch bullets when he needs them to. Right. I suppose. Yeah. He's, he's that kind of hero guy yeah he could shoot the flame off of a candle i'm telling you oh yeah totally i've seen people do that yeah i mean in movies well yeah and i've seen trick you know people shoot playing cards in half Uh uh-huh you know gun trick and i'm not sure if that's a trick or whether they actually do it but uh i've seen some some pretty amazing things with uh you know, pistol trick stuff. So I think John Dory could probably do it. Daryl, uh, uh, sorry, Rick, on the other hand, I mean, he was a police officer. He did spend some time at a gun range, uh, getting qualified. He knows how to use a firearm. Mm-hmm. It was only a good 10 feet. Like he wasn't far. He wasn't far away from that rope at all. No. But still, right. uh, a bullet, 22 caliber bullet. Have you ever seen a 22? That was a 22, that rifle. I don't know. Uh, have you ever seen a 22 caliber bullet? Not that I'm aware. Teeny tiny little bullets. Really? Teeny tiny, yeah. Okay. Like the bullet is smaller than that rope. Right. Like it's actually the diameter of the bullet is smaller than the diameter of that rope. So probably not going to cut it. No, like I said, the rope will probably just go, whoa, did you see that? I'm going (laughs) to hang on to these logs. (laughs) Just in case that happens again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've seen Penn shoot Teller with a bullet and Teller catches it in his mouth. Or maybe the other way around. I can't remember. You know those guys are illusionists, right? I figured. Like they, they tell you that at the beginning of their shows. Uh-huh. I also <laughs> saw another magic act involving, you should look this up on YouTube. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Chris O'Dowd and his wife. And, oh, yeah? And the, the magician hands Chris O'Dowd a gun and asks him to point it at his wife and pull the trigger a bunch of times. And there's an illusion. Did he hesitate? I wouldn't hesitate. Click, 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 click. Over. You mean what? Wait till what? Wait, you wanted me to wait? Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, there's a whole thing there too. And I thought they did a, a good job with that one. Uh, I'd love to see Penn and Teller in Vegas. I would love it. I would love it. Me too. I'm planning on doing it someday. I would like that. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Any more thoughts on the episode? I thought they're two for two so far this season. This one was maybe even better than the season premiere. I think it's going in the right direction, except for the ratings. It was pretty good. I think I, like I said, I think I was colored by the, uh, by the fact that a lot of the plot points in this were covered in the trailer. Sure. Not a lot of the plot points, but a lot of the bigger moments for me. Yeah. I would have liked to have watched this, the episode and go, oh, look at that sign. It's like MASH in their camp. I, I see. I, I would have enjoyed that. The uh, the beats in the conversation with uh, between Rick and Negan, mm-hmm. I would have preferred not to have that in the uh, in the trailer. Or maybe less of it. Less of it. But how can you put less of it? Right? Yeah, no. I mean, those true. beats are very important. So they as impactful as they are in the episode, they were just as impactful in the trailer. Mm-hmm. But not both. Right? Sure. Yeah. No, they don't need both. But 
maybe we've gotten most of the trailer out of the way now, so everything that's to come is going yeah. to be a big surprise and, and new to you, most of it. I can't think of anything that was in the trailer that we haven't seen. There's a little bit of, yeah, there's a little bit of Daryl and Maggie, I think, walking around together. I think this is probably them being a little bit or commiserating about Rick a little bit. I don't know, but we haven't seen that yet, I don't think. Okay. Um, so there's a bit more, but overall, you're right. I think we've seen a lot of it. So, okay. Um, I am starting to get a really sore throat, so let's do some holy craps, and uh, then I can rest a little bit. Super. Holy crap. Did you see that? All right, our first one comes from Anna in Wales, and Anna says, Holy crap, if only I could have hair as beautiful as Jesus. (laughs) You don't hear that every day. No, but his hair is nice. And when I had long hair, it didn't look anything like his. Uh, Mine did. Long straight hair? No, it was very, well, not long straight, but long and curly. It was, it was glorious. Oh, mine it was, is. It was a glorious mane of hair. I've seen pictures of you with long hair. That was pretty glorious too. I wouldn't call it glorious. I just have big frizzy curly crap hair. I don't like it at all. Why keep it nice and short now? Uh, Jennifer in Minneapolis writes, holy crap, how natural is Maggie with her baby? Lauren Cohan does a great job acting the part of the mother of a 1.5 year old. I'd agree. When she's sitting there playing on the floor, she did a great job. Yeah. Uh, Michael in London writes, holy crap. When did Rick adopt both Eugene and Gabriel? Both of them are now wearing a stupid hat that doesn't fit and trying to fill Coral's boots. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't like the idea of people not liking hats. No. I'm a hat guy. My son's a hat guy now. I applaud anybody who wears a hat at any time. You know, I do. I don't care if it fits. I do. <laughs> big, small, whatever. I do yeah. know you're not a hat guy, though. I think I'm you, a hat guy. I have like 10 hats. How often do you wear one out of the house? Every day. I don't feel comfortable if I'm not leaving the house with a hat on. Uh, I don't feel complete. I don't feel like I'm put together. Well, what kind of hat do you usually walk out of the house wearing these days? Newsboy. Like a cap. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Really? I mean, really? Every I mean, day. I mean, My son has one. He loves it. When he I calls first, it his working hat. Oh, that's good. Goes to work in it. <laughs> yeah. Mostly he likes to play with the stereo knobs when he's wor- he thinks he's working. Oh, good. Yeah, of course. Here, turn these knobs, press a few buttons. Yeah, turn the knobs, push the buttons. It's like, I'm working. Where's my working hat? Okay. Uh, I mean, I know back in the day you used to wear a cowboy hat. I still have it. Jenny just dragged it out of the closet and she's, uh, I'm considering wearing it for a long time. It was my winter hat. I'm thinking of wearing, starting to wear it again. Do you ever wear I still have, it? Fits it's so comfortable. Do you ever wear like a normal winter toque to keep your head and no, ears I don't warm? Like I can't wear a toque. Why not? I don't like I don't like toques. But you need to cover your ears when you're out in freezing cold weather. Me no. Yes, everyone does. Your ears freeze first. I, I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't bother me. That's crazy town. <laughs> okay. Well. No, I don't leave the house without a hat. It's been years. Well, it's funny because I don't see you out of the, out of your house very often anymore. No, you don't. And I guess but, the last yeah, time I have I'd... my summer hat, my Tilly hat that I wear when I'm out in the yard doing stuff or in the garage. Mm-hmm. I have my Tilly hat on. If I'm going out someplace, I'll put on my newsboy, my my cap. I'll wear that out of the house. <laughs> so you're a hat guy. I just wish I could get you to wear a shirt out of your house. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? <laughs> you're walking one. around. You don't need a shirt on if you've got a hat on. 
No, definitely not. The hat covers your nipples, right? <laughs> well, it depends on the hat, but not the ones I wear. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because if you're not going to wear a shirt, the point is to show your nipples. Isn't yeah. that the point? That's the point. It's probably the point, yeah. They are pointy. Okay. They chafe too much if you wear a shirt? Is that the problem? Yeah, that, that's the problem. That's, All right. You got to put cream on them. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. Uh, Jared in Traverse City, Michigan writes, Holy crap, did you hear Aaron's shocked, panic, and nervous, what? As he realized Enid was serious about amputating his arm. <laughs> the, that was the most memorable single second of the episode for me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think him and Daryl both turned around and said, what? You're going to cut off his arm? <laughs> so it was pretty good. Good scene. It reminded me of, uh, I did I did see that and it was funny. It's like when Princess Leia says, what? Uh, in Star Wars, when, uh, uh, what's his guy, what's his name? He was uh, in the one of the latest Star Wars movie. He was a, not in the uh, that Star Wars movie. He was a computer projection. Luke? No. Anyway, when they were about to blow up uh, her hometown, uh, her home planet. Her home planet, yes. <laughs> and she went, what? It was just the face and stuff. And then there was also something similar in uh Are you talking about Solo. Tarkin? Tarkin, that's it. Right, Grand Moff? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. When she uh, she said, well, you know, where's the rebel base or we're going to blow up your home planet? And she tells them, and he blows up the planet anyway. Yeah, well, that's, right? that's what bad guys do. And there was a similar moment in this, the Han Solo movie. Which was funny, but I'm not going to spoil that either. But it was just the the reaction of the characters at that time. Uh, hilarious. Yeah, you, I'll tell you about it off the air. Tell, tell was, me later. It was awesome. My favorite line in Solo was, "I've got a really good feeling about this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was my favorite line, but it was pretty good. Uh, Noop J in Dallas writes, "My holy crap has to be Aaron's arm getting mangled. Yuck! What a mess. That had to hurt." I hope this doesn't mean we get less of his character because of the hassles of doing the CG effect to digitally remove his arm. And I, we had the same. Yes, I agree. Me too. Uh, I don't think that they'll. We've come a long way in the last ten years since this show first aired. Yep. Um, but we had a very. Uh, I remember you and I having conversations about uh, whether or not they would have Rick's arm cut off. Yeah, and uh, and the problems of the CG in order to do that, I don't think that they would have done that at a, for a main character. Um, but now, you know, technology's come a long way in the last ten years. I think that they could probably do it fairly easily. Sure, I mean, <laughs> as long as it looks better than that fucking deer we saw totally. last year. Totally, <laughs> spend a little more money on it than that deer. The deer looked pretty bad, but. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. And uh, Kirkman has always said that cutting off Rick's hand has, was the single biggest mistake he made because now he has a character with no hand. Um, but you know, here we have Aaron who again, I think is kind of a supporting character. So we don't see him all the time. And when we do, he could probably have his hand hanging off out of the shot or in his pocket or something. And when he needs to pull it out, then they do the, the, digital arm effect. So I don't know. Yeah. They cut off Herschel's leg. They, That's fine. They did for sure. That was okay. Uh, so we'll see, but I agree with Noop J that I, I do hope we don't get less of him because they have to do this uh, because I'm really digging Aaron right now. And if him and Daryl are going to hook up, we're going to need to see them together all the time. That's true. There you go. Adam in Texas writes, Holy crap. The walking dead made the walkers menacing again. Granted, they are a big messy pile of bones, skin and pus, but you get enough of them together and they're still a problem. 
Yeah, which, they are. Which was good. I liked I liked that whole log rolling scene. Cindy in Columbus, Ohio writes, holy crap, there's a helicopter in the sky and no one else sees or hears it except for Jadis. Or Anne, yeah. I guess. Maybe she's hallucinating. Maybe it's not real. That would be a huge letdown, I think. Um, but yeah, especially at night, too. Although I guess even in the day, it's not like there's a lot of other sounds around. But if you're building a bridge, there'd be hammering and sawing and so on. And you might not notice a helicopter. But at night, everyone's being quiet. If you were in the zombie apocalypse and you had a helicopter and you knew you were the only helicopter in the area, yeah, would you have your running lights on? Uh, blinking away? There's probably no reason to. No, no need to do that. I mean, I'm sure there's not a switch to turn them off, but, you know, you probably have somebody who knows how to do aircraft maintenance and they could probably just, you know, put some tape over the lights. <laughs> That doesn't really sound like aircraft maintenance to me, Jason, but... Well, halfway through the sentence, I realized that you could do it a lot easier than aircraft maintenance skills. <laughs> so, yeah. but I just went with it. You know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, use some duct tape on, on the lights. That's right. Yeah, a little masking tape, a little, uh, you know, electrical tape. Sure. You know, a couple layers of electrical tape, you're good to go. Might work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe other people have seen the helicopter, and we just haven't had those conversations yet. I mean, maybe... Maybe Maggie, maybe the helicopter is how these people, uh, Georgie delivers her messages and it's just a normal thing, but Jadis is unsure about it. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. The helicopter is definitely going to be explained in season nine. Oh yeah. I'm, there's no reason to show it unless you're going to explain it. They have to at this point. They can't drag it on forever. So we will find that out about that. And if we don't, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, Bill in New Jersey to wrap things up here. I'm not even 10 minutes into the episode, but I think Henry is a goner. Maybe tonight's episode, maybe later in the season. But Ezekiel mentioned how Henry would one day tell the story of the bridge to his grandchildren. And then, holy crap, Carol kissed Henry on the forehead. That's the kiss of death. We all know her track record with children. Uh, forget having grandkids. I don't think Henry will ever have another birthday. Oh, man. Yeah. That's not an unsound argument. It is not. Um, however, as I said earlier, I do think that maybe Carol's turned over a new leaf and she's going to be less child murdery and more sort of happy family, Carol. Back right. to that. I don't know. But we'll have to see. We'll see what happens with Henry. He's uh, He's pretty low on the supporting character list, but he had an important part this week. He knocked a guy down with his stick. He did. You know, and that's important. All right. That is it. Uh, and I'm either getting a cold or just spent too much time talking to people in Washington because my voice is hurting and my throat is sore. So I hope I'm not getting sick. Next week on The Walking Dead, the episode is called Warning Signs. So I'm giving you the warning sign right now to get your title reads in. Uh, speaking of which, thank you, Anwen, for all those title reads. She sent in f five or six of them in different accents. So I'm like, I'll spread these out throughout the episode and, and uh, play one after each commercial break. So hopefully nice. you've caught all those. Um, and we'll be back later this week, assuming I can still talk, with more listener feedback. So absolutely send in your feedback. You can do that by visiting 
talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording something right into your computer. Alternatively, use your voice memo app on your phone. That usually gives the best quality. You can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can check us out on the social medias at facebook.com slash the talking dead or at talking dead on Twitter. And one more thing I just want to throw out there right now is that we actually have a, a listener survey up that is hosted by the company that hosts all of our audio files for us that we, we pay for. Nice. You can find that at survey.libsyn.com slash the talking dead. That's survey.libsyn.com slash the talking dead. It's really quick. It, you know, you can do it in just 30 seconds, some basic information uh, or basic questions about kind of your, your details. And, you know, I know what you're thinking. This does not mean that we are going to do more ads because the idea of this is to sort of get some demographic information about the listeners so that if we are going to do ads, we can, we can get ones that might be relevant to people, uh, you know, or more relevant to people. Um, but if you've been listening for a long time, you know that we rarely do ads, uh, normal traditional ads anyways, um, and that's not going to change, but in the occasion that we do, if there's something that we're going to do an ad for on the show, we want to make sure that it is, first of all, something, Jason, that you and I use or have experience with, and also that we think will be actually beneficial to our listeners. So doing this survey will help out um, going forward with that kind of thing. But as it stands right now, there is no plan to up the advertising on this podcast, which is pretty much at zero right now. So I feel good about that. Yeah. Um, but if you can do it, it would be great. Survey.libson.com slash the talking dead. And we'll just see where we go from there. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for the program today. Thank you so much for tuning in everyone uh, until my, until my voice comes back. And until next time, <laughs> my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>